Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, quite some time ago, I did a podcast about Jim Henson's relationship with the Walt Disney Company and how the Muppets came to reside at the MGM Studios and kind of how they came into being around the parks. Well, I wanted to expand on that story a little bit more. A few days ago, I was watching the Muppet movie, the new one, and I was really kind of entertained by the whole thing again. I I think it's a really nice film. It's very well done. And I thought I'd kind of push the story a little bit further and tell you more about the Muppets and a little bit more about that movie and kind of how it came to be made. Now, in this podcast, I'm going to present a couple of clips of Jason Siegel being interviewed, and I'll put specific links to where these came from on my show notes Now, I don't want to infringe on anyone's copyright here. I am using them just to provide a context and to help set the tone. It's just a minute or so of audio from each one of them. Now, first, I'd like to fill in some of the blanks on what happened between Disney and Jim Henson. You see, back in 1990, uh, Jim Henson passed away unexpectedly from a bacterial infection. Now, at the time of his death, Henson was negotiating a deal to move over to the Walt Disney Company. Disney actually wanted Henson's creative genius. That's what they were really after. They weren't after the Muppets so much as as they were the creative genius that was behind the Muppets. So they were really trying to get him in the fold. And when it happened that he passed away, to a large degree, Disney kind of lost interest in the Muppets. Now, that's not to say they did entirely, but there was a lot of legal ease behind what was going on there. There was a lot of back and forth between the Henson family and the Disney company, and Michael Eisner in particular, because the family realized that Disney could take the Muppets in an entirely different direction if they wanted to. Uh, If they wound up purchasing the Muppets, the Sesame Street characters, both of the television networks that Henson owned, the creative workshop, all of that stuff, they could take it in a direction that they maybe didn't want exactly. And so they were a little concerned about what might happen. There was also some legal ramifications because Disney could have and may, may have actually copied the Muppets at some point and actually created their own line of products that were kind of similar to the Muppets but weren't actually Muppets. And there's a lot of legal boundary there about where the Muppets' uh, copyrights lie and so forth. Certainly they couldn't have called them by the same names, but they could have created characters that were maybe kind of similar. So it was a lot of contention back and forth after Henson died because nobody was really sure what was going to happen. So what happened was that the uh, family decided that they wanted to hold on to the characters. So they kept the rights to the characters and were willing to sell off bits and pieces of the other thing. Now, in the meantime, there was this whole thing about Disney wanting to bring the Muppets into the fold of what Disney was all about. They had already discussed the possibility of making the Muppets the key characters for some period of time in, like, 1991. There was actually a discussion, as I understand it, For the Fab Five, Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Goofy and Pluto, to hand over the keys to the kingdom, essentially, while they went on vacation. And the Muppets would be in charge of the Walt Disney Parks while they were gone. So there was going to be this summertime change where the Muppets were going to become part of the Disney family and really grow into that role. But unfortunately, with the change, that never happened. So the Muppets kind of took a back seat. Now, they had already had an hour-long Disney special of bringing the Muppets into Walt Disney World. It was called the Muppets at Walt Disney World. 
there was a sense of what might have happened. You had some really funny things happening. There was a, a bunch of the people sneaking into Disney World and uh, turning everything on its head. Tonight, after the bug fire, we're going to sit around and listen to the fireworks from Walt Disney World. Yep. Walt, Walt Disney, Disney World. World. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Walt Disney World is just on the other side of those trees over there. Let's go, everybody. Yeah. Let's go but, but wait a second. What about the Frog Festival? Kermit. You don't understand. You are asking us to choose between Walt Disney World and fried bugs. Uh, but, uh, well, uh, uh, listen, listen. maybe if they just take a, a quick peek at Walt Disney World, and then I'll, I'll have them back real soon. <laughs> we'll save some fried bugs for you. romance and adventure. Hey, right over yeah. here. Hey, where's Mickey Mouse? Hey, come on, you rats. It's like this in family. <laughs> oh, Mickey, it'll be wonderful. You'll... Mars, Mars, wait, wait. Yellow alert. Major break. No, Mars, Mars, Mars. Forget I said that. Please forget I said that. Everything is fine. Charles Grodin, playing a security guard, tells Rizzo the Rat that rodents aren't allowed in the park. You're part of the Kismet Gang, aren't you? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm just a simple rat on holiday. Oh, yeah? Well, we don't allow rodents in the park. Oh, yeah? Does your boss Mickey know this? Mickey? Well, Mickey. Mickey's Mickey. Mickey's Mickey. Look, you've got to help me find the Kismet Gang. Well, what's it worth to you? Anything. I'll pay anything. Oh, exactly my price. Gonzo and Camilla have some fun. Ah, oh, Camilla, hon, here we are at last, just the two of us. Aww. Now, what would you like to see first? The Wonders of Life exhibit, or uh, uh, the ocean thing over there? Uh, <gasps> what's that? <laughs> Woo! It's a used paper cup exhibit. Boy, these Disney people are always on the cutting edge. Camilla, huh? look at those bent drinking straws. Huh? Oh! Yeah! Fozzie works as the Enchanted Kingdom into his act. How soon can you get film developed around here, he says. And I say to him, someday your prince will come. Get it? Prince film? I, that, that's what we call a Disney joke. No, that's what we call a dismal joke. <laughs> oh, no, please, guys, stop trying to make a fool of me. You don't need our help for that. Do <laughs> you think you're so funny? Well, we know you're not so funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> In another scene, Animal chases a shrieking Snow White down Main Street, USA. It's just something that you might have seen if they uh, really developed the characters a lot more and had been able to get a hold of them. Waka waka! And they had already put together a lot of promotional stuff. They'd already started to build uh, Muppet Vision 3D. They'd already conceptualized that and had a legal agreement to build that. But that was about the end of it. They, they couldn't do much more with it at that point. And so Disney kind of put it on the back burner and kind of left it as an afterthought for some period of time. Now, in 1991, Disney did buy the distribution rights to the entire Henson Enterprise to that point. So they had the distribution rights for all of the old films and some of the things that they had done previously but didn't have the rights to the characters. Now, the family held on to it and continued to do small-scale things with it for a few years. Then in 2000, they actually sold the entire company, lock, stock, and barrel, to a German media company, EMTV. 
Now, EMTV in 2001 went out of business, and uh, they had some financial problems, so the Jim Henson Company was uh, put up for sale again. And it turns out that the uh, Sesame Workshop wound up purchasing all of the Sesame Street characters, so they got separated out from all of the other Muppets. Now, until that time, the Sesame Workshop owned all of the rights to use the characters, but didn't own the characters themselves. So the Count and Elmo and Big Bird and, and Oscar the Grouch and so forth were all used under license and had an agreement with the Jim Henson Company to continue to produce it. Now, remember that there was an agreement between Jim Henson and the Sesame Workshop, so this became a lot more convoluted, and it made it a heck of a lot easier for Sesame Workshop just to purchase the rights to the uh, Sesame Street characters so they could continue to be on the show and they could evolve the characters and kind of run their own way. Now, of course, the puppeteers who worked on the show continued to work on the show. They were just now part of the Sesame Workshop. So that kind of worked out that way. The rest of the company, as it turns out, um, Henson's children purchased again. They decided that since the company was on the auction block and it was their father's company, that it was a good opportunity for them to buy it and own it again. But shortly after that, the Walt Disney Company came calling again. In about 2004, the Disney Company approached the uh, Henson children about purchasing the remainder of the Muppets and the rights to uh, Bear in the Big Blue House. And so the Disney Company bought what became the Muppet Studio LLC, and the word Muppet all of the trademarks and all of the things that they did, with the exception of Sesame Workshop, are now owned by the Disney Company. So they've owned it since about 2004. So one of the problems that Disney had in the original purchase that they didn't, weren't able to complete the purchase was that apparently Disney didn't recognize the artistic value of really the Muppets and what the Muppets brought to the Disney franchise. Like I said, they really wanted Jim Henson, but they hadn't really thought about what that meant to them. And if they went beyond Henson and really looked at the Muppets and the characters that were created to bring them in as a part of everything that would work for the, uh, the Walt Disney Company and making that something broader and greater. So they kind of missed out on the opportunity the first time, but they were able to get them the second time and uh, kind of have some fun with it. So now we flash forward a little bit. It's about 2008 or so, and uh, Jason Siegel, who had been uh, a star of the uh, TV show Freaks and Geeks, along with a lot of other uh, people who went on to some notoriety. Now, after the show was canceled, the executive producer, producer uh, Judd Apatow, approached uh, Jason and said, you know, I think you really have a talent for writing and directing and acting, and I think you should really pursue these and, and really get into something useful. Now, Jason had always been a fan of the Muppets. In fact, here's a quote from Jason uh, where he kind of talks about that. What uh, happens when you have time on your hands? I play with puppets alone in my house. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, thank God it's my job now. There was a time when I was just the creepy single dude with <laughs> puppets in his house. And now you can justify it. Now you have yeah. a movie poster. Do you really have a bunch of Muppets lying around? Yeah, I have a ton. Really? Ever since I was a kid, yeah. I, I started making short films when I was like 14, 15 years old, right when like the digital revolution started mm -hmm. with Apple and all that stuff. And I had no actor friends because I was an athlete. So I bought a bunch of toy store puppets to make short films with just to learn how to like use the camera and edit. And I just fell in love with them. They'll do whatever you want. <laughs> and they have working mouths. And are you? So do real dolls, but we don't normally collect them and leave them littering around the, the living room. You don't. Uh, true. True. But isn't that weird to see? Because like normal teddy bears, they look like a teddy bear when they're not in use. But but Muppets don't they kind of just awkwardly hang like? Yeah, like. <laughs> so Jason had come up with a whole 
bunch of different things that he had done. He, he loved playing with the Muppets. He loved coming up with things. And he wrote this, this sort of tome about the Muppets. And a piece of that appeared in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And the movie itself is great. Not for kids, but it's really a lot of fun. And in the movie, he has this whole Dracula thing he does with a, with a, a puppet character. And it's really kind of clever and very creative. And he's, you know, you can tell that he's really into the character. And he's, you know, he's got the whole idea down. And that was out of his head. He actually put that in the movie. He asked that that be in the movie. And it kind of came from him. It didn't come from the writers or anything. I'll leave you bleeding in my dungeon. So it makes it kind of interesting when you realize that he really had this vested interest in the Muppets. And so along the way, he was uh, trying to figure out, you know, why weren't the Muppets popular anymore? It was sort of this, this funny thing he was thinking about. He kind of sat back and he goes, well, why, are the, why have the Muppets disappeared? So he hadn't really seen a new movie and seen any new things out of them since the early 1990s. And now here it was, the mid-2000s, and now there were no Muppets out there. Why? So Jason set out to find out what happened to the Muppets. And uh, he hooked up with a, a friend of his, director Nicholas Stoller, and they started uh, investigating what had happened. Now they wound up getting a meeting with um, Jim Henson's daughter. Now remember that I told you before that the Muppets LLC was sold to the Disney company, but the Henson company still remained. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty in that. You know, who owns what and who's part of what, and most people wouldn't know the story of what happened to the Muppets LLC and that it became part of the Disney company. And Jason uh, Siegel and Nicholas Stoller were no exceptions to that. They wound up contacting the Henson Company and uh, meeting with Lisa Henson, Jim's daughter, who had been CEO of the company since 2004. Now, the Henson Company still owns the Creature Shop, which makes various puppets, though not Muppets, for various movie productions. Now, they do it in the same fashion as the way they used to make the Muppets, but they're just strictly puppets. They don't have that name anymore. So they make those puppets. So they're sitting there having this meeting, and Siegel asks if he can see Kermit and Miss Piggy. And uh, Lisa responds, no, sorry, we don't own them anymore. And Siegel apparently was taken aback by that and really didn't realize that the Disney Company owned it now. And so Siegel and Stoller were directed to the Walt Disney Company. And they wound up meeting with an executive uh, named Kristen Burr, who works on smaller budget uh, comedies for the studio. And he told her, I want to do a Muppet movie. And he couldn't understand why the uh, company hadn't used the Muppet property um, for several years now, and um, why they seemed to have no big plans for it. Now... It turns out that uh, Kristen Burr had thought that Jason Siegel was there pulling her leg and this was not serious at all. So she actually wound up calling his agent to make sure there wasn't a joke in play here. Uh, and um, she learned that Siegel was absolutely serious about wanting to do a Muppet movie. So the Disney company still didn't budge on it. So what did Siegel do? He went on The Late Show with Craig Ferguson and he announced that he wanted to make a Muppet movie. He didn't say anything specific. He just said he wanted to make a Muppet movie because it had been sitting for too long. And he asked uh, Ferguson if he'd like to be in the movie. And Ferguson said, yeah, that's great. And, um, so they kind of made it public that way. And then Kristen Burr got the message, and she got in touch with him again and started to talk about making a Muppet movie. Now, there was a little change in, uh, in the hierarchy at Disney, and that may have had something to do with it. A little bit of a change in the production studio, so they had a different person who came in control. Um, when Rich Ross came in, he gave the green light to go ahead and start it. So actually, Jason Siegel and uh, Nicholas Stoller started working on the script for it. They started off with a script that was written, oh, many years ago, right after The Great Muppet Caper, in fact. And it was uh, along the lines of the cheapest Muppet movie ever made. 
And that kind of gave them a framework to start with, and then they kind of built their own. And they came up with several iterations of scripts of reinventing the characters and bringing them back. And why were they gone from the scene for so long? Thank you. So you got to meet Kermit. I got to meet Kermit. It's yes, a thrill, yes. isn't it? It's so crazy, man. Yeah. So, I mean, the last time you were here, it was for I Love You, Man, and we were talking about the possibility of you doing the Muppet movie. Yeah. I've been writing this for five years. It's finally coming out. It's yeah. crazy. It was, uh, it was like a real labor of love. Um, but it's like a crazy dream come true. The first time I met Kermit and he read uh, the first line that I had written for him, I literally burst into tears. Seriously? Yeah, and I'm a grown man. <laughs> it was like, incredibly awkward. It was in front of the studio executives and everything, and I'm, I'm like the executive producer. They're kind of counting on me to like run stuff. Yeah. And I'm just crying like an infant. It was, it was horrible. So he started to write scripts around why the Muppets were out of the picture for so long. What, what happened to them? Where did they go? And that's sort of where the, the genesis for the idea came from. And he started to think about what other things he could do, and he wanted to have a bunch of cameo appearances by celebrities and do some different things that would make it kind of fun and bring back the Muppets to a full life. And if you watch the movie, you can really see how Jason Siegel's influence plays in that because he really had a lot to say about how it all fit together and he really helped kind of bring them back to life and kind of breathe new life into them so they kind of came back around and became something again so you kind of get the story about what happened and how they got to this point and how they were gone for so long well miss piggy was living off in france and everyone went their separate ways and they kind of let things go hey it's a reasonable story the only problem was several of the Muppeteers, the people who puppet the Muppets, uh, really weren't happy with the way the storyline was going. They didn't feel it really fit with the Muppets, and it kind of strayed from the main storyline. It really wouldn't happen that the Muppets would go their separate ways, and they wouldn't work out that way. And so several kind of mildly protested. Now, Frank Oz took a much stronger stand than everyone else. He actually bowed out of the production and thought it was not in the best interests of what Henson would have had in mind. He was probably closer to Henson than most of the rest of them, and that's not to say they weren't all close. He was probably just the closest to him. And uh, as the production uh, kind of got going, he decided it really wasn't the right fit for him to, uh, to be a part of this, so he stepped out of the production. The rest of the puppeteers stayed in, but they had their own mini-protests to say, you know, we don't really like some of the things that are going on. Now, one of the sticking points in the, uh, in the scripting and the way this, the story was written had to do with the uh, self-awareness that the Muppets have. And apparently, in some of the early scripts that Stoller and uh, Siegel had written, they had uh, referred to the Muppets talking about themselves being made of felt. And the Muppets were very self-aware and never would have thought of themselves being made of felt. They were always um, human-like creatures, right? They were Muppets. They never thought of themselves as being made of fabric. It just didn't work like that. So it, it was one of the points of contention. And then also, there was a scene in there where he was using Walter, his brother as a sort of a marionette on the streets so that he could make money uh, from passers-by. And the uh, puppeteers really didn't go for that either because they never would have considered that any of these guys would have actually been uh, puppets like that. They never, they never thought of them as anything more than just um, Muppets, right? It was something really different. It was something unique. Now, overall, I would say that the storyline worked out pretty well. And I think as a fan looking at it, I think it worked out... Um, in a way that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm pretty happy with the way it came out. I think they did a nice job of describing what might have happened to the Muppets in between and still making it funny and relevant. So the um, Disney company uh, hired a director to work on the film, and uh, 
and he was James Bobbin. He had worked on a number of other films, and he was a true fan of the uh, Muppets anyway. So it worked out really well because he really got Jason Siegel's vision of what they wanted to do and was able to step in and help work with the, uh, the designs on it a little bit. Now, one of the interesting things was they used to watch YouTube videos of the Muppets kind of in between shooting days so they could make sure that they got the Muppets in the right frame of mind so they could kind of do things that the Muppets might actually do. Now, in a little twist of fate, the Henson Company did allow the Disney Company to come in and film some of the scenes in the uh, Henson Studios so that they had the, uh, the Muppet Studios there, and that was a part of the show because that was still on the uh, Henson property. So it was kind of funny. They were able to go in there and film some scenes there even though they weren't part of it. It's just kind of one of those quirky little things that happens. Now, another little uh, factoid, a little, another little note that happened. Along the way, um, Jason Siegel had wanted to include a cameo by Elmo in the uh, movie. But uh, there was no way to get that done legally, and the lawyers uh, kind of took that one away and said, we're not going to be able to do that just because of the way that Sesame Workshop owned Elmo and the other uh, Sesame Street characters while Disney owned the rest of them. So uh, it wasn't going to work out too well. And then one other thing. Reading about Jim Henson and kind of understanding who the man was, the man was a creative genius. He really had some very interesting ideas on what he wanted to do, and he kept pressing himself to do more and, and uh, kind of produce more. And in an interview around the time the movie was uh, released, Brian Henson had said, you know, I, I think my dad really wanted to, uh, to continue to uh, move on and, you know, kind of move away from the Muppets. And that's why the Muppets kind of weren't around for some period of time and why he was talking to Disney about being uh, a creative genius at Disney because he wanted to kind of progress and move on from the Muppets and never really thought about the Muppets as being the mainstay and continuing the Muppets. Now, Disney feels differently about that, of course, and that's fine. Um, but Brian thinks that his dad probably wouldn't have been sentimental about it, uh, according to uh, one of the interviews I read. And so I find that kind of interesting that, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a different approach to it. And so that's the story of uh, Jim Henson and the Walt Disney Company and the Henson Company and uh, the Muppets and how they all fit together and how that, how that story all came to be and how Jason Siegel was really the driving force behind getting the, uh, the Muppets out there. Kind of a funny twisting of the wind here, too. Remember that Craig Ferguson was a critical player in the, in the game to get the Muppets greenlit, and uh, Jason Siegel had gone on Ferguson's show and asked him, to, uh, asked him to be in the movie. Well, it turns out that Ferguson never actually appeared in the movie. The schedule conflict was just too great, and they couldn't work it out a time for him to be there, so they never actually were able to get him in the movie. So the next time that Siegel went on uh, uh, Craig Ferguson's show, Ferguson gave him a hard time about that, which I thought was pretty funny. I'm fascinated by the way Siegel kind of approached this, and I wanted to present a little audio for you from one of the interviews he did where he kind of talked a little bit candidly about how he felt about the whole production. And we also had to do something uh, and just very humbly acknowledge to ourselves that there are some people who don't, kids especially, don't even know who the Muppets are. Right. So there had to be a reintroduction element of the Muppets. And I think we've done that well. We've hit that balance of people who... People who loved the Muppets growing up get their fair share of, of memory, you know, trip down memory lane. Um, and kids are able to watch it as though it's, it's movie number one. When they're singing and they're doing the, the take the piss version of the barbershop scene where they sing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kids aren't going to get, even, the, even you know, 18-year-olds well, yeah. probably will know. But, but, you know, it's, they weren't alive yeah, right, when it came out. Yeah, it's... Um, it's it's very similar to that Peter Sellers thing I was describing. Yeah. Our, the generation who knows what's going on is going to be enjoying it for that. Kids are going to be enjoying it because Jack Black is 
having his face shaved and his head shrunk. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, They'll right, be enjoying right. it on both. And levels. then when you you mentioned earlier about the move away from cynicism or yeah. the lack of cynicism in the, in the Muppets, which is a beautiful thing. But one of the tropes of our generation is cynicism, mm-hmm. and and it is embodied in say The Simpsons. Yeah. So how do you walk that line of being funny? without playing to what has become the card to play in order to be funny. Um, There is a reason the Muppets have endured for 40 years. I can't think of anything else that's done it. And it's I've figured out why, I believe. It's that the Muppets remind us of who we wanted to be when we were kids. Mm. They remind us of our best selves. Um, They... You know, there's something about this wide-eyed innocence, I can achieve anything, that the world sadly beats out of you as you get older, you know? And, and you come to terms with the, the reality that, no, I can't be anything. i got to pay the bills, you know? Um, well, the Muppets have never lost that. They do believe they can accomplish anything, and they do believe friendship is more important than money. You know, mm. all, the, all the things that, when we were kids, we hoped that we held on to those things. And then, you know... Down, down the road, it just it goes away, but not for the Muppets. So for, for an hour and a half, you get to remember uh, what you want it to be. Dang, I nailed that answer. Yeah, that's a very good answer. Thank you. If you don't mind saying so yourself. Yeah. <laughs> now, as production wound down, there was an interesting thing that happened, and uh, I'll let Siegel tell you what that was all about. The finale of the movie, there were, uh, I think, 200 extras, 100 dancers, 50 Muppets, and... Uh, it was, it was very surreal. What was crazy about it was it was my birthday. It's the finale of the movie. But I walked out from my trailer thinking I was coming to film, and everyone sang happy birthday, including the Muppets. And uh, I've said this a lot, but uh, what I just keep thinking is I've tricked everyone. Somehow I've made this weird childhood dream come true. It's, it's the craziest thing ever. Now, I don't think there can be any denying that the uh, Muppet movie was fairly successful and they did a really good job of putting it together and I think Disney stood to gain a lot out of this film. And it stands to reason that there will be a sequel to this film. And Disney has already given it the green light. It will probably be produced in the next year to two years. The question was whether Jason Segel was going to reprise his role since he was the guy who brought together the Muppets and brought it all back to light. And the answer is no. Um, Jason's work on uh, How I Met Your Mother is taking up too much of his time, and he can't find the time to get out and actually put together another movie. And he's got some other movies he's working on right now, so it wasn't going to work out for him. So the movie, the movie franchise will move on without him, the guy who was really the creative genius to bringing the Muppets back to life. And I find that kind of interesting, the way it kind of worked out. I guess, you know, timing is everything, and that's just the way the, light, the world works sometimes, especially in the world of movies and schedules and timing and that sort of thing. And I totally get it, and it's just too bad, because I thought he was pretty good in the film, and I thought he did a nice job of kind of playing the part of the man or the Muppet. Um, so it was kind of, kind of fun, and uh, we'll miss him in the next film, but look forward to seeing the next film anyway. Well, that's the story of the Muppets. As I said, I want to give full credit to the, uh, the shows that produce the quotes from Jason Siegel. If you look at my show notes page, you'll see links to the actual sites that uh, put them out there uh, because they actually did the job of getting Jason Siegel on to do the interviews. I just wanted to provide it for context so you'd have a little sense of what Jason brought to the table and what he was able to do. So please do visit my site at uh, DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Well, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Everything is great. We'll live happily ever after. And we'll keep giving the world the third greatest.
The four interviews with Jason Siegel include Strombo.com, Screen Team Media, QTV, and Attack of the Show. Also, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to Wired.com for an article they did about Jason Siegel around the time that the Muppets movie came out. A little bit of that content is flavored throughout here as well. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish list. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 133.